Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your words become the internal voice for your child. And I will ask them, whose voice is that? It's my father's voice. It's my mother's voice. It's my grandparents' voice. Okay, men funnel most of their emotions through what we call the anger funnel. Oftentimes, anger will land in pain or hurt or disappointment, you know, and we don't know what to do with those feelings, especially if you're an alpha male and have been trained that you can't show emotions or you're going to look like a sissy. I move in with my junk and you move in with your junk. And if we don't open our suitcases and share what's in them, we're going to end up hitting each other with these suitcases. If your reaction on a scale from one to 10 is over a three, that issue is connected to an earlier wound. When have you felt this way before in your life? Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. This episode is about healing the wounds from an absent father. And today we have the privilege of having with us Dr. Douglas Carpenter. He's an author and a clinical psychologist. And he's written books on this very topic, and he's here to explain about all of this today. And this is going to be a very, very uh, profound, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of talk. light bulb moments. Yeah. So, so tune in. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. We're so uh, honored to have you on. Um, so, Doug, you have written. Um, a book, and you have another book coming out. Um, you're also a licensed psychologist, and you see a lot of folks with trauma. Um, share a little bit more about what inspired your first your first book, and then like the title of the book. Okay, well, my first book was really sparked from circumstances from my own life. Okay, you know, I grew up in the church. I'm fifth generation Pentecost, so. Mm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the church, um, but my father um, had some issues of his own and wasn't really actively involved in my life, even though okay. he lived with us on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I much later found out when I was 21, which this story is in the book, I found out that my father had been very abused as a child, which I knew because my grandfather was not a very nice man and had done some actual horrible things to me. Okay. I knew my grandfather was not a good man. Got it. So 
my dad, when I was about 20 or 21, sat down and told me, you know, here's why I haven't really had anything to do with you is because I was abused as a kid and all I wanted to do was be left alone, be able to play and be able to be a kid. Because my dad made me start working on the farm when I was like at age five. And so he's like, I didn't want to put my kids through that. So really, I left you kids alone to just be kids and do whatever you wanted to do. But now you're 20 years old and we have no relationship. And I realized what kind of mistake I made in trying to do the right thing. And so, I mean, that was kind of the impetus of the book is more about the trauma that I felt like I lived through without having a male role model in my life. Even though he was present, he wasn't present. Mm -hmm. Got it. What was that like? You know, I'm, I'm sure you could speak for you, but you probably see you in a lot of your clients as well. Of course. Yeah. It's a very lonely existence. You, I think you grow up not developing certain, certain characteristics. For example, the research shows that rough and tumble play between a father and a son is extremely important because that's one way in which a male child learns to read another male's cues and facial expressions and body language. And when they don't have that, that's a skill they don't necessarily develop. So then they are uncomfortable as they continue to grow interacting with other males, but they don't really know why. It just doesn't, you know, I just feel like I get along better with females. Well, it's because you haven't learned to read another male's cues. Right. And so I very much was along those lines where I did not develop the cues to read other boys' cues. My father you know, wasn't around much. He was off working. We kind of lived outside of city limits. I didn't have any neighbors that were boys until much later. You know, I had my sister and I had my mother. Mm -hmm. So I learned to successfully interact with females, right? which was great for my dating life, you know, 20 years down the road. (laughs) (laughs) But it, but it wasn't so much in learning how to interact with other boys. And so it was very, it became a very lonely uh, progression because I, yeah. I, I struggled with forming healthy relationships with other boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that struggle, did you find in yourself a yearning to be able to do that or find that? I would say that it went back and forth. Okay. There were times that I would look at boys. It, it really hit me when I would see other boys interacting with their fathers. Mm. Like I remember our church had a softball team where all the dads would go play softball and they would take their sons and I would go, but I would stand on the sidelines and be grieved because there were these fathers and these sons interacting but I was standing there alone. You know, so there were times that I yearned for that, but then there were also times from being around so many females in my life that I would look at what the boys were doing and I would be like, you guys are stupid or you guys are like crazy. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you punching each other? 
Uh-huh. It was more foreign to you. And what was yeah. familiar is the the kindness and nurturing. soft nurturing sense of a woman. Right. Right. Mm. That, that's what was familiar to me. So I didn't jump into rough and tumble play because I didn't know how to do that. Mm. Yeah. You know, so sense. sometimes the search circumstance would leave me on the sidelines and other times I would put myself on the sidelines. So like you, I, you, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You use this term non-alpha male Yes. In, I think it's in the title of your book. It is in the right? title of my book. Okay. Childhood so, trauma and the non-alpha male. Oh, say it again. Childhood trauma and the non-alpha male. Mm-hmm. And so how would you define the non-alpha male given your experience and then also now your experience as a psychologist? Okay. Well, I, I talk about in the book that um, let's take the concept of masculinity as a construct and put it on a continuum. Typically, society, I mean, this is changing, it's evolving some, but typically, especially for children, you're on a, it's a dichotomy, two ends of a continuum. You're either a boy who's into trucks and cars and sports and balls and (laughs) superheroes and all this kind of things. Or if you're not into that, then you must be gay. So Mm -hmm. you're either a, a beta male, which is seen as somebody who's weak, passive, you know, life happens to them or you're an alpha male who's somebody who makes life happen and you're strong. And, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a sociologist by the name of Dan Griffin, who is, he talks about the man rules. And so, you know, the man rules apply to all the alpha males. We don't value relationships. You don't show weakness. You don't cry, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But if you look at the research, honestly, If you put masculinity into a bell-shaped curve, you know, the middle ground here are people who have some kind of mix between these characteristics. Sure. Alpha males are really not the majority of men in society, but that's what we're told. That's what we're sold. And we're sold through especially. Yeah, in Hollywood and culture, but now, especially 21st century postmodernism, I think we're seeing it more and more in the church, where the church is pushing this agenda of alpha male, um, maybe to pull away from this idea of if you're not an alpha male, then you're going to be gay or you're going to question your gender identity. Right, which which that masculine continuum really has nothing to do with sexuality. Right. You know, it has to do with male characteristics, you know, Mm -hmm. just like myself, because I wasn't an alpha male, because I wasn't ever taught to do any of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up playing the piano because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be actively involved in church. Well, that has served me well throughout my life. I still play the piano for a mega church, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, I love being involved with that, but that has come with it. Um, a lot of stigma yeah. of being a non-alpha male and, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're into things that more women are into versus the arts, the creativity, the, yeah. yep. And, and all of those things are associated with femininity. Um, and right. if you're in the church, I mean, if you can sing, that's one thing, go, go ahead, sing tenor. But like, if you, if you right. express yourself in any other creative way, that's attached, uh, stigma is attached to that. Right. It, it goes with that stigma that uh-huh. you're more of the beta male or you could potentially be gay or 
know, and I think boys in the apostolic world, maybe more in the South too, where, where there are more strict standards may not be able to always be involved in, in alpha male um, activities. Like I know growing up, I grew up in a very strict apostolic church where we weren't allowed to play organized sports. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't be on sports teams and you weren't allowed to go to games and things like that. I know we've Mm -hmm. kind of moved away from that in a lot of circles, which I'm, I'm happy about, but um, you know, so then you're left going, okay, well, what am I going to do? Yep. You know, I want to be involved in church. I want to develop some kind of skill, but what am I going to do? Right. And it's like the boys identify those sports or certain activities as leading to that self expression of like, yeah, I feel alpha male when I do this thing. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, I don't see myself doing that, then I have to classify my, because we do really badly. (laughs) Yes. Um, when, without boxes, right? We want to say like, well, right. no, I fit in this box. We do very bad with ambiguity. Right. So, so we're always trying to tell ourselves, oh no, I fit better here. All right. This is where I belong. Right. And especially as preteens. Yeah. And I know this isn't the topic of our conversation, but one thing that really concerns me about that is when these boys who are lacking a masculine presence and an identity reach puberty, they're turning to pornography to mm-hmm. understand more about their sense of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yeah. that's happening inside and outside of the church. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's a, a global problem, but yes, Absolutely. you know, I, I think that's another problem area because, you know, in the church, I think, you know, if I'm going to use drugs or I'm going to drink, you can clearly see that. But mm-hmm. if I, and if I'm a young person looking for masculinity and I turn to pornography, nobody sees that. I can do that in secret. It's a secret sin. And then yeah. once right. they're hooked, they dread anyone finding out because mm-hmm. of what that would mean within their circles. Well, mm-hmm. Right. There's a huge, huge shame factor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, we right. see that a ton in our work with clients. Oh, absolutely. In your book, I, I listen, uh, you said toxic shame a lot. Does this, mm-hmm. does shame... Do you see these attached to these stereotypes of like, you know, I'm not alpha, so therefore I start feeling shame for who I am? Oh, absolutely. Because if I can't, if I can't identify with my gender group, mm-hmm. the message is there that there's something wrong with me. And so, you know, shame is different than toxic shame. Toxic okay. shame comes into play when I, I don't feel bad you feel bad about your hate behaviors, but toxic shame becomes when I start to feel bad about who I inherently am as a person. Like you're, it's called your shame essence. You know, you start being that core of who you are, you feel is defective. That's when people turn to self-soothing because the core of who they are is not relating well with others. That's right. where the insecurity comes into play. So they self-soothe and pornography is a go-to. Well, and I think it's a huge go-to inside the church. Just like I said, the other sins are more visible. Right. right. But yeah. that one's not so visible. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. You know, and we have a lot of naive parents who thinks, well, my little Bobby's not going to do that. We go to church. He's went to Sunday school his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, that 
that that's not in our home. Yeah. Well, little do they know that the average age of first exposure is between eight and 11. That is absolutely correct. And I quote that in the, the book, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, I also quote in the book that that at, and I think that research was from 2018 or 17, but the average teen spends up to two hours of porn a week. The wow. Average male wow. teen wow. spends up to two hours. So my yeah, goodness. not, not yeah. a day, but in, in total. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just the average. So you've yeah. got kids who are looking at less, you've got kids who are looking at significantly more. more. I mean, if right. you look at the statistics for pornography use from 12 to 17 years old and 18 to 35 year olds, I mean, it's like less than a percent difference between those two of right. who's in the lead for mm-hmm. porn consumption. Yep. Wow. Yep. Gen Z and millennials, they're, yeah. they're all hooked. I mean, 70 something percent um, yes. in conservative Christian circles. Right. And that's both male and female. Right. Like we're seeing it more so now with females too. Absolutely. Um, let's kind of transition to the, the topic of your book. You talk about trauma. We're talking a little bit about pornography and how that might come about in non-alpha males. Um, and so... Is, would you say that's part of the complex trauma that a non-alpha male can experience um, growing up? And then what are some, maybe some other types of trauma that you've witnessed in non-alpha males? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's all kinds of trauma associated with that, it, especially if they have, if they're in a home where there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, I think there's so many different types of abuse that we don't even think about. Okay. You know, um, one thing I would say about that is like there's physical abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's like intellectual abuse. And that's when either the parents aren't providing them a good education or they're comparing one kid against another or, you know, you don't have all A's like, you know, so-and-so's kid does or mm-hmm. you're going to make us look dumb if you don't get your act together Again, that's the shame, the shame piece. Absolutely. One of the things, little quotes that I I remembered from your book uh, said that like your words become the internal voice for your child. Absolutely. That stood out for me because so many of us live with these, this toxic voice that's saying you're not enough. You need to do more. You don't fit in. You're not good enough. All these things. Yep. And that very well could come from like the person you're talking about, that that father that's maybe trying to push his son or daughter to to become something. But in that pushing, those words just slice. We'll be right back to the interview. But first, we wanted to share something that we are really excited about. So, you know, we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations. And that's why we created the monthly live date night. And monthly live date night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. We focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick and then 30 minutes we do a Q&A and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. 
and we share tools. Uh, we have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in, but we really want you to take action in your marriage too. So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details. All right, back to the interview. Well, oftentimes when I'm working with a patient, I will have them close their eyes when they start talking about their own inner dialogue and and that shame cycle and what they're saying to themselves. And I will ask them, whose voice is that? You know, and a lot of them have never stopped to really consider that. And that's a big moment of insight for them because they may say, it's my father's voice. It's my mother's voice. It's my grandparents' voice. You know, wherever that that shame was being delivered from, you know, they hear that person's voice. So very much, you know, I, I encourage parents, your words to your child is going to become their inner voice. And so what you deliver to them is extremely important. You know, kids have to have the love and the nurturance for who they are. Not what they've done, not what they can do, not what they have the potential to do, but for who they are. You know, and, and I think one of the biggest um, challenges as a parent is to, allowing, to allow your child to develop into the person they were created to be. So no good. matter what that is, if it's a great baseball player, if it's a great piano player, if it's a whatever it is, yeah. it doesn't even have to be great, but you have to allow that child to develop their own skills. Like I'm clearly not an alpha male. <laughs> I, I, I don't even profess. I don't even have a desire to be an alpha male. I want to be who I am, but I have a son that shoots anything that moves, you know, he can play every sport imaginable. Like, he is so alpha male and mm -hmm. I so am not, Yeah. Mm. but I encouraged that in him as a kid. Like I would tell him, I'm so happy that you found what you like to do. And dad is going to support that. I took him to monster truck rallies. I took <laughs> him out skeet shooting. I was with him the first time he killed his first Turkey. Granted, I was sitting in the blind reading a book. <laughs> but, you couldn't quite get a piano in the blind, could you? I couldn't. I, I had a McDonald's sweet tea and I was reading. Them. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's so good. But I was there. Oh, and, I love and that. I tried hard to connect him with other males in his life that could be appropriate role models for those things that he liked to do. But I didn't shame him for liking things that were completely different from what I liked. Because right. raising a boy or a girl, for that matter, isn't to uh, fill the broken, your own broken dreams, mm -hmm. the dreams that you didn't get. So now you're going to help their, you know, push your kids into like, you need to be this. Well, and that's actually a form of abuse. When you take your own longings and unfulfilled dreams and actualizations and you put them on your child, you project those onto your child and try to push them in that direction, that's a form of abuse. You are not allowing that child to develop into the person they were naturally created to be. 
I mean, you know, we live living in Detroit, we live in a very metropolitan area. And I see a lot of um, people from different cultures and they will come in and be depressed because my family pushed me into this profession. My family pushed me into this role because they expected it. We had to make it here in America. You know, so it's been a complete abandonment of who they are as an individual and they're trying to fulfill a family role. And, and that is so damaging to a child and their own identity development. So what does, what does that look like in your mind? Because I love the example that you gave of sitting in the blind, reading and eating or drinking your sweet tea. <laughs> that was your way of showing approval, which we know is so important for the children I, to feel like I approve of you. Right. What else does that look like? What what other pieces need to be in that for the child to grow up into the healthy with a healthy sense of identity? Well, I'm going to use this word attunement, and it basically means that I am in touch with my child's feelings. Okay. And I'm not trying to pose some limitations on it. For example, um so I didn't raise my son with this toxic masculinity culture when he was a kid and he would get hurt and he would start to cry about something. I would pick him up, set him on my lap and I would tell him, Dawson, this really hurts right now. Your knee hurts. You skin down. If you fell down, it skinned up. You're bleeding. I want you to just sit on my lap and you can cry as long as you want until you're done crying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to sit here and hold you. And when you're done crying, we're going to clean up your knee and, and you can go on about your day. That, I, yeah. I didn't send him the message. You have to stop crying. You, you know, you're being a sissy. Suck it up. You know, that's not attuning to his needs. Regardless of whether you're an alpha male or not, right? This, exactly. We're just talking about attunement, like being in tune in touch with your child's feelings. Absolutely. And, and, and parents... That takes energy. That takes effort to do that. You know, we all live very busy lives, but if you're going to have a child, you have to take the responsibility for that child. And it's your obligation to be attuned with that child and their needs. So interesting. Uh, Okay. A little bit of pushback. Sure. So uh, what about for all the men who have, don't have any sort of emotional intelligence. Because there, there are a lot of men who talk, talk to me and they oh, yeah. know like five different words for emotions. Fun, happy, <laughs> angry. Yeah, like, maybe three. <laughs> like I'm trying yeah. to think. You know, but their, their emotional vocabulary is so small. So, oh, so they're hearing you say emotional attunement what in the world is that like right. crying get up okay we just need to get over with you know like what about for those men well and that's where i think as a therapist it's, it is my job to educate them that truly we have eight basic emotions and those are anger fear pain joy passion love shame and guilt you know and and in my next book that i have coming out I have a workbook with that book and there's a whole page of nothing but a list of emotions that men need to to understand 
that there's this huge, broad range of emotion. You know, men tend to really have two emotions. We either are happy or we're angry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, men funnel most of their emotions through what we call the anger funnel. I love it. You know, so and- anger, pain, sadness, all those things, any negative type emotion comes through that funnel and it usually comes out as anger, rage, or violence. What would you say anger is? Well, that, that's a pretty broad question. Um, I consider would, it a secondary emotion? I would consider it a secondary emotion. Yes, because if, if you back anger up through that funnel, mm-hmm. where does it land? It, and oftentimes, anger will land in pain or hurt or disappointment. Yep. You know, and we don't know what to do with those feelings, especially if you're an alpha male and have been trained that you can't show emotions or you're going to look like a sissy. You know, we don't know what to do with any other emotion other than turn it into anger. So good. And then I remembered a quote in your book. Well, you actually quoted Nietzsche who said that depression is just anger turned inwards. Yes. Oftentimes when you don't know what to do with an emotion, if, if you're either going to internalize it or you're going to externalize it. Ah. And so if you externalize it, there's a display of anger. If you mm-hmm. internalize it, you know, Freud says that anger is depre- or depression is anger turned inward. So we take that anger and we internalize it and we hold on to it. But then the energy from that doesn't have anywhere to go. So it just begins to attack the self and it typically, typically then will lead to a state of depression. So good. Cause that's often where you see the men either very turned inward yes. or external and, and that doesn't bear good fruits either. Right. Cause external can be drugs, alcohol, violence, sex, pornography, yeah. pornography, gambling, you know, some type of, right. type of acting out behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of teaching uh, men how to deal with their hurt and pain, men often end up in the penal system because my externalization leads to me getting in trouble. Yeah. So um, if, you know, a mom or a dad is listening and they're like, man, I'm, I'm seeing some signs of disappointment or pain or hurt in my child and I don't want that to be layered and, and I want to, I want to intervene now and attune. And maybe attune. they're they're Maybe they are attuned and now they're seeing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, what are some pieces of advice that you would give to them? Well, a lot of it's communication. Okay. Just communicate with your child, get down on their level, talk to them, ask them, what are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. You know, are you feeling disappointed that you know, you were supposed to go to so-and-so's house and, you know, then they canceled on you. Mm-hmm. What, are you what are you feeling right now? Are, are you sad? Do you feel sad? You know, what would you like to do instead? Mm-hmm. Could we do something together? It's again, it's being attuned with that child and getting them to verbalize their emotions. And that's where it's, it's good for parents to learn a range of, of emotional um, descriptive words mm-hmm. because you have to help that child make sense of what they're feeling and you have mm-hmm. to attach words to experience. Yes. 
for them to be able to mentally process their own emotions. You know, I see so many men, just like you were saying, Adam, that come into therapy and they can't even identify their own emotion. Well, it's because no, no parent has trained them to match words, put words to their experience. You know, and so they can't even identify how they're feeling. Yeah, that's something that we've, um, we've recommended and assigned as homework quite often where we'll, we'll have people print out a feelings chart. Well, inside of our, inside of her office, uh, she had this big, huge, uh, she had a sand tray as her centerpiece, like her coffee table. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so people would like, you know, put their coasters in the sand, <laughs> but, uh, on that metal, she had a big like magnet with mm-hmm. all these, like, it looked like Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. I think Calvin and Hobbes does have one. Um, but it looked like Calvin, but it had all these different emotions yeah. on this chart. So yeah. she, so I, I remember, you know, guys sitting there on the on the couch and like can't find the out emotion she's like all right look down uh-huh. i would do that often <laughs> and there is a big chart of emotions yeah. oh yeah that mm-hmm. melancholy that's what i'm yeah. feeling uh-huh. one thing that i've done in the, in the past is that for a while there was this big poster and it had all these feeling faces on it and words well i took that poster and i cut it up into flashcards Okay. And so what I would do sometimes is I would hand the mail that, that stack and I would go, I want you to go through these cards and I want you to try to attach words to your experience right now. Nice. Mm-hmm. Or, or I would even use those flashcards as I would cover up the word and I would be like, okay, tell me about this face. Tell me mm-hmm. what you're seeing on this card. What are you reading from this? And what emotion do you think this face is portraying to just help them Mm-hmm. begin to identify and learn how to, to broaden that emotional yes. experience and that emotional intelligence. It's mm-hmm. good. Can you speak to the young married couple who's listening and maybe either of them, but let's talk specifically to the male. Maybe they're listening and they're going, this is me. Like I grew up with an absent father or I grew up without being able to identify with my gender class and, and their behaviors. And, um, they're just feeling uh, that, that void. Um, what can they do to work on healing and, um, attunement? We're going to get right back to the episode, but we wanted to share something really quick with you. We have been married for almost 13 years and we have had the same dinnerware and silverware and glasses um, since we got married on from our registry. Yeah, so we have been looking around to buy some new dinnerware. And um, then Lennox approached us to uh, share some stuff with you guys. Yeah, so we recently received their French Pearl Scallop uh, dinnerware, which is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous collection of um, din- dinnerware that's crafted of porcelain. And we also received their high quality crystal glasses. Yeah, I've been trying to get rid of our old glasses for a long time. Yes. (laughs) And so if you haven't upgraded your dinnerware since you got married and you've been married for a while, or maybe you're newlyweds and you haven't completed your collection, we highly recommend Lennox. So you can go to lennox.com today to purchase and you can use our code DYMC to save 20% on your order. Well, that's actually funny because um, the I I've just started 
my third book, which is going to be called Healing the Father Wound. Ooh, okay. So it's going to be dealing with a lot of those those issues. Mm-hmm. That that's a harder issue because once that deficit is there, there's some degree of that deficit that's never going to be fully fulfilled. Okay. You know, one way that I have worked on fulfilling that for myself was I said in my heart that I'm going to be to my children the kind of parent that I wanted. You know, I wasn't going to put my wounds on my children. Right. You weren't but I was going to it. I was going to fulfill the role of a father and and allow that to heal myself too. Yeah, that's good. You know, um with people who come in with a lot of father wounds though, I do do a lot of inner child work. Okay. You know, talk allow, about that a little bit for people yeah. who don't okay. know. Allow that adult part of you now to look back and talk to that little boy inside of you that was wounded and hurt. Mm -hmm. They went through a lot of experiences that they didn't have words for. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what they were experiencing. You know, and that adult part of you now can look back to that child and and speak to it. Mm -hmm. You know, with an adult mind, with a healthy mind now, and, and, and it can address some of that shame. Yeah. The shame that you, the shame that you held or that you hold was not your shame. It's somebody else's shame. It was put on you. And that adult self can help that inner child relieve itself of some of that burden. And you know, but oftentimes that takes a skilled therapist to help a person walk through those skills, you know, and, I hope in the church world, we're becoming more and more open to the process of therapy. And, and amen. You know, <laughs> preach. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, you know, the Bible is full of seeking wise counsel. Yeah. That's right. How would you advise, uh, again, speaking to the couple um, where they're realizing I need to do some of this inner child work, I need to heal some wounds. Um, how would you advise them to communicate this to each other because this is clearly affecting the couple um, and their intimate connection, both in and out of the bedroom. We see this so, right. so oh, often. Completely. So how would you advise the couple? Well, I always use marriage as kind of an analogy that I move in with my junk and you move in with your junk. And if we don't open our suitcases and share what's in them, we're going to end up hitting each other with these suitcases. So I do think that it's really important for the couple to sit down and, and walk each other through their childhood and their wounds and their experiences. And, you know, why I might be sensitive to certain things or phrases or words or you know, you, you, we are a combination of our experience. And if I marry you and you don't understand the context of my experience, you are going to miss me. You know, you're going to say things and do things that are, that are going to send me into orbit and you're not going to understand why I'm flying off the handle when 
know, you're doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, if your reaction on a scale from one to 10 is over a three, that's, you, you probably have, that issue is connected to a, an earlier wound. That's such a good tip. Love and that. you're dragging that into your current present. Because there are very few instances in life where your reaction needs to get above a three. Right. Mm. You know, if your kids were running out in the street, okay, be at a 10. You know, but most interactions with one another don't need to get over a three. And if you're having a reaction to a three out of seven, you're dragging in junk from the past and you need right. to work through that and figure out what that is and how you're dragging it into the relationship. That is so good. So like, what would you ask? Cause I, of course with a counselor, we, we know how to do this in a session. Right. Um, but maybe for that, you know, in tune spouse, you know, maybe it's later after that person has had a time to calm down. Um, how could that spouse maybe approach them to learn what story is there? Well, for example, one thing that I would ask in therapy is, when have you felt this way before in your life? Because that, that's going to then connect me to all those things in the past when you have felt like this before. Mm-hmm. And when you did feel like that before, how did, how did that issue resolve? or was left unresolved and how is the feeling that you had about this in the past playing into how you felt today when you experienced that that's good and the spouse as the active listener has to be really careful to be the the person to absorb the information and to listen to support and not to have a rebuttal i tell people to be very caring and be very curious that's great. Caring and curious. Yeah. I, I tell people it's your turn to be the emotional container. Yes. That point. Excellent. Yeah. So good, man. There's like so many nuggets here for people. So Doug, how did this play out in your own marriage? Cause you've been married for how long now? 27 years. Well, 27, 27 years in September. Oh, a long time. Wow. A long and time. It, in those first few years, I mean, a lot of this probably played out in your marriage. How did you... Um, you were hitting each other with suitcases. <laughs> well, we did because... Uh, <laughs> funny, um, we... She was going to my parents' church. I had, I had lived away. Uh-huh. And so when I came to church, I saw her and was just like, to me, she was stunningly beautiful. And I hit my mom and I go, who is that? <laughs> tell me who it was. And I said, well, I'm going to ask her out after church. So I walked, up, I walked up to her. I asked her out after church. She said, yes. Four days later on July 4th uh, or uh, on July 1st was our first date. <laughs> I proposed in two weeks and we got married in two months and two days. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're killing it. That's amazing. <laughs> because I was, I was moving away to go to doctorate school and I was uh-huh. like, I'm going to lock this down. I'm going to lock this down. So, you know, we did not know each other really at all. Um, Yeah. We had just barely began to share our childhood wounds with each other when we got married, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
So the first couple of years of marriage was very difficult for us. I bet. You know, did you find yourself like seeking counsel at that time or having a lot of come to Jesus moments together? What what did that look like? But all of that. Yes. We did seek counsel. We did go to counseling, you know, to to just help us begin to to navigate trying to understand Mm -hmm. one another more. And, you know, I'm a licensed psychologist. She's a licensed social worker. So uh, within the first 10 years of our marriage, we both became full-fledged mental health professionals. So we kind of of learned how to help each other. You were shrinking each other. We were shrinking each other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was funny because I was going through my doctoral program and and she originally started out in physical therapy, but because I was the married one in the group, like the study group would meet at our house. And so then she finally said, I know all this stuff from listening to you guys nonstop. I should just go into mental health. And I'm like, we'll do it. And so she did. And so for the best, all these. And she works with a lot of folks with trauma as well. She does. Yeah. She does a lot of, of work with childhood trauma and a lot of the work from Claudia Black from a book called Changing Course. Okay. So if you, you, if you have childhood wounds and hurt, um, and loss and pain that you need to get over and get past changing course by Claudia Black is probably it's it's like our number one book. Um, Thank you. We'll in fact, in Claudia Black notes. wrote one of the uh, reviews on my book that's published on the, the back cover. Oh, wow. right on. Um, okay. She's just a, a phenomenal psychologist and uh, that's great. Does great work with helping people learn how to get past their, their hurts and hangups from the, the past. And okay, so my okay. wife does a lot of Claudia Black's type work with her clients. Yeah. I love that. So if you find yourself having a lot of your reactions over three, <laughs> then you probably yes. need to go get Claudia Black's work oh, yes. and go through it and, yeah. and spend my goodness. It's amazing to me how many people live with these wounds. Oh, and never take action, never make time to say, you know, I am going to dedicate the next this amount of time to become healthy. You know, well, none of us male, would walk around with our heart showing, like with like right. gashes in our chest. And what are males told? Bury it. Just bury it. Forget it. It's in the past. Let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so detrimental. We wonder why men die earlier than women from depression and or heart attacks and strokes mm-hmm. and because they internalize all this emotion, they yeah. don't know how to attach it to mm-hmm. the words and it attacks the self and it, it attacks the self on a physical level. I recently had a client, um, they were going through some fertility issues. And so, you know, there's a lot of grief there for yes. the two of them. And the pastor told husband not to cry in front of his wife because it was a sign of weakness. And I was so shocked. I'm like, we are in 2021. How is this still being advised? Well, it's not even biblical, much less scientific. Like Jesus wept in his grief. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's astounding how that, that narrative is, is still being perpetuated. Very much so. You know, and so part of therapy is helping this man. I love the word you just used because I use it all the time. Narrative. 
you have to change your narrative about yourself and who you are, mm-hmm. you know, to get in touch with your emotions, to connect with your wife and, and understand her wounds, to connect with your children. Yeah. You, know, you may have to do some real personal work on changing your own internal, internal narrative about your own life. So, so, so helpful and good. Um, any other resources that you could point people to that would help them in their maybe fatherhood or trauma or besides what you've already mentioned? Um, yeah, there are a couple. One really old book is um, anything by John Bradshaw. Uh, I think his original book was called The Shame That Binds. Maybe okay. it talks about um, understanding the wounds of that inner child. Um, also, there's a book that's on my my desk right now from Bessel van der Kolk, who's probably the leading person in trauma in the United yes. States right now. The Body Keeps the Score. This is That's probably the book. greatest book regarding book trauma. On trauma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, very just heady, but it's book. so good too. It is very heady, but yeah, it's it's got a lot of rich experience um, and knowledge in it. Yeah, um, true. And where could people find your book? On Amazon. Yeah, Childhood Trauma and the Non-Alpha Male, it's on Amazon, and it is on Audible as well. If yes. You want to just listen to it. Very um, well done, too, I, I might add. It, and I would be happy to give away a couple of copies to your listeners if we could wait to, to do that. Hey, maybe we could do a giveaway well, when yeah, this airs. Yeah, let's airs. do that. Let's that do that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I would be happy to, you know, take two or three books or, or codes for the Audible and be able awesome. to give give them away. Love to do that. Thank you. We'll do that. Okay. And then we'll also link his book in the show notes for those who are listening. Tell us about the book you have coming out. The book I have coming out is called, um, secret shame implications of male sexual abuse on male sexual development. So I interviewed 13 men in depth about their sexual abuse that, that was perpetrated by another male. And then in detail, how it has impacted their own sexual development wow. and then sexual lives as adult males. Mm. Then uh, there's a workbook that will go along with that to help men who've been sexually abused work through their trauma. Okay. And, and when does that come out? Well, um, it's being reviewed right now by publishers. So I don't, I don't have a date of when okay. it will be released, but, but it's com- they're both completely written and just kind of waiting on the whole editing process process is <laughs> definitely a process yes uh, maybe we'll have you back on um around the time of that book being released and yeah, we'll to. interview you on that topic because i have so many questions that just popped into my I head know. about that topic yeah and it's a pretty heady book too it's about 525 pages long wow. so it's 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 been it's taken me like five years to write it's full of research okay and then awesome. like i said I, I created the workbook to go along with it for you know, the more practical really need to work mm-hmm. through their own trauma or work through it in therapy. Mm. Excellent. Okay. So well, awesome. we'll have you back on to discuss that book for sure. Sure. All right. Well, we, we're going to come to a close the way that we close all of our podcasts. And um, that's by asking you to fill in the blank for the dear young married couple letter. Okay. And so rewind back to the first couple years of your marriage and think about the advice you wish you would have received. And then you'll fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. 
dear young married couple, be compassionate with one another. Listen to your hearts, not the words that are being said, but the intents. Listen to your heart. Hear her heart. See her pain. See her joy. But I think it goes back to compassion. We have lived in a society where we're pushed to be very self-absorbed, you know, and that does not bode well with teaching you how to be compassionate to yourself and to others. And so I would really encourage couples today to really learn to be compassionate with one another. Good. So good. It's a, it's a, a godly trait that yes. is sometimes hard to have or humble yourself to, to do. Yeah. But it's beautiful and it's, it's well worth the effort. Yeah, it's learning to get out outside of your own box. Yep. That's good. Thank you so much for this and You're welcome. all of your experience and work that you've put into yeah. putting these resources together for people that now this is such a beautiful ministry and I'm excited for people to go through that book and, and to find some healing on their own. So you're, you're, you see couples, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Are you like trained in EFT? We love EFT. Okay. <laughs> I'm, we're not certified. I'm but not certified, we're, we're but students I'm of very, EFT. very, very familiar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been through uh, the externship, through the core skills. Nice. Beautiful. Um, nice. And I'm in the process of, I've been through EFIT, which is for. Okay. Uh-huh. For individuals, I'm getting ready to do the second one of those. Great. Oh, so, yeah. That is so neat. Well, if folks want to get in touch with Dr. Douglas Carpenter, um, they can email him. They can go to drdwc69 at me.com or his website, which is www.insightcounselingpc.com. And we will put all of that in the show notes as well. And man, thank you so much, Dr. Carpenter. It was an honor to have you on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I- great. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.